Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 193 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed 3D printing and how it might impact the practice of law. In this episode, we focus on our favorite topic, the Internet, and a new report on big Internet trends. We think it should be on your radar as well. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about Internet trends, uh, the uh, annual Internet trends for 2017, as recently presented by Mary Meeker. In our second segment, we've got another question from one of our listeners. Very excited about that. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, internet trends, the big picture about the internet. This is a legal technology podcast with an internet focus. Each year, uh, Mary Meeker of Kleiner Perkins uh, provides what is generally considered to be sort of the seminal state of the internet presentation, which is usually at the Code Conference. Uh, and that took place a couple of weeks ago. Each year, her report is huge, and, um, and I mean huge. It came in this year at 355 PowerPoint slides. I wonder how long it really takes her to deliver this report. Uh, but it's got some great information in it, and we thought we'd try and break some of that down, um, the things that we thought were most interesting for the listeners of this podcast and things you need to pay attention to. Dennis, how important do you think this report is, and, and what was your initial reaction to it? Well, I think this, f for a long time, has been a very important report, and it's something that people really look to, because as you can, as you say, 355 slides, you can tell the amount of work and research that, that goes into it, and, and it really identifies some trends that I, I don't think you expect, and not a lot of people focus on. I will say, as a word of warning, that we're really helping people out by emphasizing how long the, the set of slides is, because <laughs> I made the mistake of sending it to the printer before I checked, and uh, I've got a three-inch stack of paper here. At least I printed it on uh, both sides of the page. But uh, So it's, it's a significant, hefty report. Um, annually, I think it's it's a great report. I, I think that my initial reaction is this reminds me uh, how important it is in legal tech uh, for for all of us to get the perspective that comes from outside the legal tech silo. And so this is really big picture stuff on on the Internet. And you might initially think that some of it won't apply to what you do day to day. And that's probably true. So the trends in China and India, which I think are absolutely fascinating, probably won't apply to most of our listeners on a day to day basis. But there's some really interesting uh, trends and developments within that information that I think it makes sense just to to be aware of so i think it's uh i think it's a great report and i'm, I'm glad tom that you suggested this as a as a topic because uh, is i think it's so great to get that outside perspective from a place other than inside the the legal tech world well, the next time you want to review it, I, I have an iPad app where you can actually view it digitally rather than print things out. And uh, just just let me know when you're ready to 
to start looking at things not on paper, and I'm, I'm happy to, to help you out there. Uh, I acknowledge my mistake on printing there. So. It's, it's okay. I'm always intrigued by this report because it talks about things that we really don't get a chance to talk about that often um, on this podcast, but they are things that... Uh, you know, some of them, like you say, probably don't affect lawyers as much as they affect the, the business world and, and the healthcare world and some of these other industries that are out there. Um, but I, I think that uh, they are part of the reality that is the internet and the fact that things either are, are changing in a way that uh, lawyers need to be able to adapt to, whether it's a matter of using the internet in a different way or having the internet as a resource to get to clients in a different way or how the practice of law might change because of some of these trends, maybe not today, maybe, uh, maybe sometime in the future, but um, it's, it's part of that, uh, let's keep up with kind of what are the things that are down the road so that when it finally becomes commonplace, uh, we're not so surprised that we, we knew this was something that was around the bend and it was really only a matter of time before it, uh, before it started. Do you want to maybe let's dive in and talk about some of the favorite? There were so many data points that were part of this report. Maybe we talk about some of our favorites. Well, I think uh, I'm going to make the take a deep breath here and make the try to to hit the just just describe briefly the the trends and overview them. So there, so she talks about there's a solid but slowing growth in smartphone use, and it's actually the smartphone use in some ways is staggering um, the the growth that's happened there, but it's solid. Um, to me, sort of on the bad news side is that. Online advertising is becoming more effective, actionable, and measurable, which means we're going to see even more of it. Um, probably the big one of the big points for me is this interactive gaming, especially mobile gaming, is the area where we're seeing a lot of innovation and where innovation comes from. Uh, on the media side, seeing that the disruption of existing media is happening really quickly. Um, that cloud computing is changing in some fundamental ways, but becoming more widely adopted. Uh, entertainment and transportation are huge in China. And in India, there's a big focus on uh, what she calls consumers winning. So a big focus on what's going on with the individual consumers in India. And I think that there may be some lessons in there for, uh, for some of our listeners. The other big one, I think, for, for lawyers is healthcare, which she describes as being at a digital inflection point. And, and I think that there are some analogies of what's happening in the healthcare world that, that could have impact in the legal world. And then she ends up by f uh, focusing on, on the, the big global uh, public and private uh, internet uh, companies. And it's, it's really, there's a couple slides in there talking about how we're, the value in the market and how that's changed over the years and how that's, that's shifted over to technology and internet companies. And again, I think that it's just something that gives you a great perspective on what's going on out there and can can kind of shape and, and change your thinking about the internet. So there were a number of things as, as time as I, I mentioned as I went through those that, that I 
I was really fascinated by, especially the healthcare and the gaming one, because I'm not a gamer, but I understand the point that's being made uh, about gaming. So what was your your general uh, reaction? Well, I mean, actually, what I want to do is I kind of want to do some cherry picking and dive a little bit into some of those things that you talk about, because, you know, I think you've hit the general trends, the major things that they talked about. One of the most interesting things to me was what you mentioned at the very end there, that they show a statistic about uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, uh, the top 10 companies in the world in market cap, um, you know, most of them were not technology-based companies, and now um, either eight or nine out of 10 are, are technology companies. And the ones that were big before, you know, ExxonMobil being one of them, has fallen tremendously. I think it's just amazing how Apple, Google, Amazon have really, really risen and have taken over the world. Facebook have taken over the world in terms of, uh, in terms of their uh, commercial uh, success and their commercial power. I kind of want to talk about, I mean, there are really some little nuggets in there that I think are very interesting. And I just want to kind of follow down on, on, on a couple of them. I thought just starting out, the fact that uh, she's able to measure that there are 3.4 billion internet users right now in the world. So, and that's up 10 per, 10% year over year. So that's 10% growth just in the past year of people joining the internet. And so uh, no wonder why technology companies are the most powerful in the world. It is a large market they are serving. I, I I'm not sure I, did, I totally agree with what you said about smartphones. Um, yes, there's growth. Uh, whether it's solid or not, I want to see what happens next year. And the reason why I say that is that um, the, tr the, the, the growth has been slowing year over year. Four years ago, the smartphone shipments were, were up 28%. Two years ago, it was only 10%. And this year, it's 3%. And I'm curious about why that's happening. Have we gotten to a saturation point with smartphones around the world? That That is interesting to me about why that should be happening. I mean, I, I would imagine that most of those 3.4 billion internet users in some way have a phone or mobile device. I'm just wondering how many of them are, are getting a new phone every year. Um, internet use uh, is up. Uh, and, and not just um, general internet use, but mobile internet use. And I know you might want to talk about that a little, but, but per, uh, per day, or per adult, it's 5.6 hours, which means that the time on the internet has doubled in the past eight years. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, we won't necessarily talk about here, but the fact that people are spending a quarter of their day online in some fact is, uh, is really interesting to me. I, I don't know about you, Dan, but those kind of are some of the first little nuggets that I wanted to share that caught my attention. Yeah, to me, the sort of interesting thing about the smartphone is that is how quickly that in the parts of the world where the 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 old feature phone or flip phone is is still our non-smartphone is, is still the standard. How soon uh, that that uh, they phase out of that into the, into the smartphone era, which is obviously a, uh, both a question of price and what you're able to do, applications and the things you're able to do with those phones. So that, that could have an impact. That's why I think some of the stuff uh, that she talks about in China in in India is is especially interesting along those lines. Yeah, Tom, I I think it's worth just kind of hitting some of the the nuggets that uh, stood out to us. So uh, here's one thing that really interested me, where she said the future of search will be about pictures, not keywords. 
and that that's both about video search searching uh photos but it it we're moving away from the boolean from the keyword searches and into other types of things um and so so that i i think really made me start to think to say okay so if if search is going to be focused more on pictures what might that mean as i go forward whether it's a, a lawyer or not as I said, I was disturbed by everything that was happening in the world of advertising because I, I feel like I hate everything about ads on the Internet these days. But, but to the extent you use ads, you can measure them. You can measure them more. You can, you can learn more about it. You can target them better. Um, whether that's a good thing for society or, or not, I don't know. The other thing that I thought was interesting is talking about how the digitally native brands are going offline. So just in the, in the past week or so, Amazon bought Whole Foods and that's and we have the Apple stores and, and all these other things. So there there is that thing of that retail and online has a both a physical presence and the online presence, sometimes related uh, to delivery, but other things. And so my question there is like, well, does that apply to legal as well? And you say, well, what if if, uh, you know, somebody like a legal zoom starts to have an offline presence what might that be is that a firm is that a center that people go to and so that's the sort of thing i liked about this report is it it does kind of let your imagination uh run with how some of these trends might have an impact in the in the legal profession you know i think that is interesting about the the digital natives going offline um in terms of the 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 legal field i think uh, you know, this is one of those times where I might say that the old nugget that law firms and the legal community is about two years behind everybody else in terms of things, and, and we're just now starting to see these internet-only legal services, um, putting them, you know, getting them into the brick-and-mortar world, um, I still think is a ways off, but it is an interesting concept to see what happens if a legal Zoom store opens down the street from, uh, from solo and small firm world. That, I think, represents a significant threat to, uh, uh, to, to traditional practices. I, I want to come back real quick um, on the fact that the future of search will be about pictures, not keywords, because I think that, that, she, that in the report she talks not just about pictures, but also about voice. Um, the, the big example of pictures that I'm really interested in seeing more about is Google Lens, which I think we've talked about on the podcast in the past, mm -hmm. where, where you know, you're going to be able to point your camera at a flower. It's going to tell you what flower it is. You're going to point your camera at a performance hall, and you can buy tickets to the next concert, um, which to me is, is incredibly intriguing that it can identify all of that. The, the, the photo recognition on uh, uh, the facial recognition on Google Photos is um, both scary in a privacy way, but also just amazing in the accuracy and, and what it can what it can tell. Um, but really, I think searches about voice as well. Uh, the statistics showed that that in May of last year, 20% of mobile search was by voice. And, and as of this time, it's now 70% of mobile search is by voice. And I just, I, I, I had to read that and I'm, I may be wrong about that stat, but that's what I read. It seems like an incredible increase over just a one year period of time. And, and the fact that voice recognition is getting so good, it's now for Google anyway, at the accepted threshold for, for human accuracy, for, which is 95% 
percent. It it really is just cleaning the clocks of of Siri or even even the Amazon Echo. Its its recognition is good. Um, as far as advertising is concerned, the only thing I I thought was interesting, uh, in addition to what you said, is that uh, in addition to the fact that the advertisers are getting much better at what they do, um, the uh, consumers are making much more use of ad blocking technology, and they are um, they are, they're adopting that in a lot more um, a lot more volume than they have in the past, which I think shows that users are increasingly opting out of the things they don't want. Now, I will say that ever since I've been using ad blocking technology, the number of websites that say we see you're using an ad blocker, please disable it if you want to continue to use this website, that's increasing. So I, I'm going to be interested to see the fight between ad blockers and advertisers over the next couple of years, but I, I did think that that was an interesting statistic that uh, more people are using these tools to, to kind of fight back against the ads that you hate so much. Well, Tom, you got me thinking about when you say if legal Zoom opens the store. I, so if you picture the notion that uh, near the courthouse, there's this legal Zoom store that people can stop by, you know, and legal Zoom has the branding and the online stuff. Um, that's a really interesting idea. And I, I guess, Tom, I, if they haven't thought of that and others haven't thought of that, they can they can make the royalties checks out to both of us, I guess, uh, on on that idea. But that's really interesting. But that's also happening at the same time, as she said, there's wreck retail store closings so it's it's interesting that the you know the the brick and mortar companies are looking at the online services so walmart buying jet.com and then the online services are looking at opening retail stores so that's a really interesting dynamic and and that could play out i think for lawyers in terms of clients they represent and and some of the the impact of that Mobile gaming, like I said, I'm not I'm not a gamer, so but a lot of this stuff was interesting to think about. So they said that the the that mobile gaming is the most engaging form of of use of the internet, um, and the session duration for gaming has gone up 33 percent in the last two years. She asked the question: Is is online gaming preparing us for human machine? partnering. So there's this notion that, you know, in, in chess is the example that the best chess players in the world are humans using AI, not just AI or humans. It's that, that combination or pro hybrid approach. And so with online gaming, you're seeing some of the AI things and some of the other innovations. And I, I think that that was really fascinating to me is that what is our experience with using the phone for gaming, is that going to help us move further into other things where we're using AI? And, and I would say Siri and, and the other experiences we have with mobile also are saying, oh, that I partner in a kind of fundamental way with this device to help me learn and do things. Yeah, the, the gaming part was the part that both most interested me and I skipped over the most other than, other than the international stuff because I think that you're probably right. It has a lot. Um, I, I think that that's really where the heat is uh, lately because they are being incredibly innovative. The fact that um, you know they're taking advantage of the fact that, that that mobile games are so popular that even even apps and either services that uh, that aren't 
that aren't games are gamifying um, their services so that, I mean, Dennis Kennedy for long periods of time is number one at the top of the tech show uh, leaderboard um, in the app because you did a lot of things. It's, it's, it's an addictive process of doing things that, uh, that, that gain you points and gain you other types of things. And I, I, I really think that um, that's not going to change. I've just listened to a really engaging podcast um, on Note to Self where they talk about how, uh, how the, the the, the gaming and and basically social media world um, are always trying to find ways to keep you uh, keep you engaged and keep you addicted to what you're doing and I think that gaming is very similar to that. Uh, I, I I'm interested to see that uh, that that cord cutting is starting to become more of a thing. Uh, that uh, that Netflix is actually catching up with cable subscriptions. That uh, people are are leaving. I don't want to say that they're leaving pay TV in droves, but they are. You know, 80 percent uh, are saying that uh, pay TV is too expensive, and 48 percent of those people are using a streaming service. So there is some cord cutting going on, and they're moving away from. Uh, from standard cable or network television, which I think is interesting, and it's and it's the same with streaming music as well. Um, there is uh, more of a move towards the internet because you do have a little bit more freedom of choice. Uh, you do you you pe- people do have you know when it comes to television, they find they don't need 700 channels; they just need uh, you know a, a handful of channels that they watch all the time and that they're willing to pay a monthly price for. That is most of the time less than cable, um, and I think that's a um, an interesting other notion that um, that traditional services with the traditional pricing is fading out in favor of, and I think that that was another piece that that, uh, that Mary Meeker brought up is the idea of the subscription. That subscription services on the internet are also kind of all the rage. Being able to subscribe to things that you receive on a regular basis, Office 365, Acrobat, they're all in subscription services. That the very model of how we purchase these things is changing as well, and that's all due to the internet. And I put in my plug as I do from time to time that I think there are also subscription models that could work in the legal profession as well um, if we talk a little bit about cloud there, I mean basically this was sort of like a business and enterprise uh, look at cloud that she did but there there were a couple of things I, I, I thought were interesting there and one is there's a kind of shift as there is the acceptance of the abuse of the cloud to away from that focus on data security and cost that we used to do, and I think a lot of law firms do, to to more of a concern about am I locked into a vendor if I go to a cloud? How do I get my data out? Uh, you know what happens with that vendor? So more due diligence on the vendor side, and then also, um, and Tom, you might have a few thoughts on this as well, but. Uh, that how is that use of the cloud going to help me on compliance and information governance? And then she made this point that I, that I also thought was really good with the cloud companies, especially the new ones, are really focused on on improving the the user experience for end users. So I think cloud is seen less of a technical solution, and you know for for the the uh, companies that use it and and there's more of a focus on the end user and, and usability yeah I, I think that um, it was even though security still is 
the biggest concern, but it, it really is down significantly over the past four years, which I think represents a, a, a more growing acceptance um, of, of the, the notion of it. But you're right, compliance and, and governance is one of the ones that is kind of has, has kind of shot up. Now that people are accepting it, they're like, okay, we're putting our stuff into cloud services. How do we manage it? How do we make sure that we're keeping it, um, you know, in, 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 in accordance with our company regulations, with, uh, with the law, with, uh, with federal regulations, anything that, any laws that might apply to them. Um, a couple other things. Maybe we want to, you know, we, we could easily spend another 30 or 45 minutes or more talking about some of these things, but maybe let's talk uh, uh, briefly about, um, about security and maybe healthcare and then, and then head out of our first segment. Uh, for me, uh, what was interesting in the security was the fact that um, there are breaches of more than 10 million identities. So security breaches and data breaches involving more than 10 million different identities has increased year over year the past three years. It is a fact of life. It is happening more and more often. It's not a matter of if but when that companies are going to get hit with this. And I think that... Um, they're going to have to evolve, and I think they are evolving on how to protect our information, or more importantly, how to recover once that information has uh, has had something happen to it. And then I know Dennis, you want to talk a little bit more about health, and I'll kind of chime in there with some thoughts on uh, on on how the the health world may, in some ways, mirror what the legal world should should or can be doing. Well, I do want to mention my favorite stat on security, which is that the network breaches are increasingly caused by email and phishing spam, and that the amount of that is up 350% since 2015. So once again, humans, we are our own worst enemy. Like, I don't know how people can't, can't have learned by now. Uh, to be careful with email and not spot the the phishing emails and the things that they're likely to have malware, but it's an ongoing, ongoing issue and, and a growing issue. So it's certainly an education issue. I know that today there were some cyber attacks that sounded like they might have been prompted by at some. Uh, at least one very prominent firm that may have been prompted by an email malware issue. So keep keep in mind that. I if, if there's one part of this report of the 355 pages that I would recommend to our listeners and for the legal profession is the healthcare section, because I suspect that it might be the best analogy for the legal profession, or it's at least ask, worth asking the question whether it is the best analogy for the legal profession. So in health, the big trend is empowering data in consumer hands. So I've really noticed this in the last couple of years, but there's a but the actual stat is there's a 700% increase in hospitals providing digital access to healthcare information. So it's just a lot easier to get test results and what's going on after you had a, a doctor's visit and to get that information. Um, and I think that's uh, that's a really interesting thing that I really like uh, myself. And I'm saying I don't know that there is... I don't think with law firms you get the same sense. So if I have a, a lawyer, I don't think it's so easy for me to check information. You know, it may to look at the notes or you know results from you know meetings I've had or check documents that sort of thing. And then she says, uh, "There's a slide that says data insight." plus translation equal healthcare delivery could change faster with consumer engagement and faster innovation cycles. 
Okay, so that's a mouthful. Um, but I think that my question was, is that the same for law? Can we, if we provide data insight to clients and get them involved in the same way that healthcare is starting to, are we going to get higher uh, client engagement and and maybe innovate faster because we're working together with with clients? I think that's the really the interesting question. I don't have an answer to it, um, and I know that in some ways uh, medical data is different than legal data, but I think there could be something there that's a really client-focused use of technology that could really innovate certain practices. So here's my rather simplistic view of why I think that healthcare is going to continue to be slightly ahead of the legal industry, uh, at least for a while, in this particular area. And that's that I think that for most people, uh, they consider information about their health, gathering it or capturing it or viewing it or reading it, um, is... I think, at least in some respects, more accessible than getting information about the legal matter that their lawyer might be handling for them. And I, and I want to trace it, if I could speculate here, I want to trace it to the idea of wearables. Um, you know, the, the stat in the, in the report is that uh, the wearables market has quadrupled over the past three years, that more and more people are quantifying their health. They have an interest in understanding, you know, what their health is like, uh, which in turn, I think, makes it easier for that empowerment of the consumer. I think that they can say there's clearly an interest there. Let us help you um, not only quantify it, but let's tell you how to make sense of it. Until the legal industry, I think, can learn how to to help with that, to make it more understandable and make it more accessible, I think they're going to be behind the healthcare industry. Dennis, we want to take us out of this segment with a, a last final thought. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot to read. So, but I, I think it's, I think it's an important thing, especially for any lawyers who think think about the internet or use the internet. And and I just I emphasize the point. Uh, something I I try to do more and more of is I just think you have to we have to get perspectives outside of the legal tech world and out of the outside the legal industry, legal, you know, legal profession that, uh, and it's, it can be very helpful and it will stimulate, uh, lots of good ideas. I, we're, the legal profession is so conservative and we look to see what's, you know, what's happened before, what the precedent is in the legal world. I think it's good to look at what's going on out there. And like, we didn't talk about India and China, but in that section of the report there, I, I definitely saw some really interesting things. And before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Miles. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Hey, we got another question from uh, the the audience, but no audio this time. Uh, we really like getting audio questions, and we're going to actually 
come up with a way to make it easier for people to do that with the with the voicemail line. So be sure to send your questions in. So let's go right to the question, and it's a, a simple one, but uh, it it made us think a little bit. Which is, I don't have a blog. Does it make sense to start a blog in 2017? So, you know, my answer really hasn't changed since. The last time we got asked this question, because it, this question comes up from time to time, and, and my answer, I think, in 2017 is basically the same. It makes sense to have a hub. It makes sense to have a home base. It makes sense to have a place where you keep content that you use to communicate with the world, whether that's um, about your practice, about other things you're passionate about, but it makes sense to have a, some type of central location for that. And if that home base is a blog, then yes, it makes sense to have a blog. Um, if it me makes sense to just have a website, uh, a lot of people choose to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to spend my time out on Twitter, uh, tweeting at people and talking to them about stuff, or I'm going to post lots of pictures on Instagram, or I'm going to get on Facebook and I'm going to advertise my services there. And I think that all of that is fine, but it is... Um, it is not pointing back to a place where you can share a lot of information, a lot more information with people, articles that you care about, things that you write, things that you participate in. Um, it's so much easier to do that on a blog or website type format than it is in social media. Um, how do you do that? Um, I, I think, you know, I used to say go get a Tumblr blog, but now that Tumblr's owned by Verizon, I'm not sure I recommend that anymore. I, I'm now recommending either either go and and get a, a WordPress.com blog just to see how WordPress works, uh, or or go to uh, to Squarespace. Uh, Twenty bucks a month, uh, maybe it's a little more than that at this point. Um, but you can get a really nicely designed, customizable uh, blog for for not a not a whole lot of money to do that. And I think it's it's fairly simple to do to just test one out and see if you like it obviously there are uh, there are better more sophisticated products that you can use to, to do blogging but I, I really think that yes it's still an option I think people are still successful in blogging but I don't really think of it as um, you know having a blog it's it's what's my space on the internet and and how do I get people to come there and if a blog is that space then uh, more power to you yeah I mean I think what's what's changed a little bit is there are so many outlets that you can you can put content and i i agree with you and although i would say that if you're a law student our friend kevin o'keefe at lexblog is making blogs available for free to law students which to me is something you totally have to do if you're a law student especially this this job market um but so i think that for me the issue is con what's changed is is so many outlets and and how much control you want to have and so what i like about a blog is that it, it gives me it, it, as you say it's time there's sort of this hub that you can draw out people to i'm sort of less concerned about how whether people go there or not but that i have control of my content and then uh to go back to the world of rss feeds what rss was about was real simple syndication so for me there's a syndication notice so what i like is the idea of having a blog that i can put uh my content and it's freely available on the internet and then I can I can take it and I can repost it in on LinkedIn I can do something on Facebook and but anyway but even if they make changes to what they do or one of those social media services goes out of business 
that my content is still residing on the blog and I can package it in different ways for different different audiences. So I, I like the fact that it is sort of the home base where I have control and you know I don't have to worry about uh, being the product of of some other service. So um, I may put stuff out everywhere else. Like I, I think I'm going to try to do a lot more in Facebook, uh, for example. But I think it's all going to grow. It could start at the blog and then go out from there in a in a syndication sense. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Uh, so Dennis and I have talked a lot on this podcast about Slack as a communication tool. We use it ourselves just as, a, as an internal tool for, for talking about the podcast and communicating about that. Uh, a lot of law firms have started to use it as an internal tool and like it quite a bit. But I also know some folks who complain about the fact that uh, there's so many notifications. You, when people know you're online, uh, you're always getting constantly uh, com uh, you know, pinged at and, and communicated with. Um, I noticed that uh, one of my very favorite companies, uh, the company that makes Todoist, my my task manager of choice, they've come out with, uh, I think it's premature to call it a Slack competitor, but it is a similar type messaging tool. It's called Twist, and it, it works on the same premise. You can set up channels uh, for different types of topics. Uh, you can integrate apps, including the great Todoist task manager, but other apps as well, um, and you can communicate but it's more asynchronous. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't say that you're online and you can talk to people. It. Uh, it doesn't provide, or at least it allows you the ability to opt out of notifications a little bit more um, than Slack does. Um, it is. Uh, there is a free version for people to use, um, but the free version only allows you to keep content for I think 60 days. It's not a very long period of time that you can keep that content. So if you like it and you want to use it as a regular tool, you probably are going to have to upgrade to one of the paid plans, which are five or six dollars a month per user, which isn't terribly bad, but uh, but uh, an interesting option to Slack if people are interested in a new tool. It's something that I've been uh, testing out lately in the past couple of weeks. Twist. So, Tom, I do have to say that my heart sank a little bit when I got an invitation to yet another uh, social tool like this from you. I had, to, so I had to invite somebody, <laughs> and I can't just be on a social tool by myself. And so, so I, I'm curious to see the ways that uh, you think we can use this tool. So, um, so anyway, I've I've signed up. So it's it's something new for me to try. I have two things. So one's really quick. I I saw today that Facebook officially won over two billion users. Two billion users. And so, I think that's important to think about uh, f for everyone. And as to for people who say, I, I don't think Facebook's important. I think Facebook's going to go away. I don't think I need to be involved in it. Two billion users. That's something to think about. The other thing that I want to mention is, is something I've really enjoyed. I'm not sure I've mentioned this before. I know I've mentioned it on podcast, but maybe not as a parting shot, is that uh, if you are a, a member of your public library, there's they're doing a lot of ebook rentals and there's this app called overdrive that connects with the system that your public library has that and it allows you to to rent in the same way you would at the library uh books and audiobooks for a period of time 
uh, like, you know, a couple weeks, three weeks. And you can identify books, read them in the app, do a wish list, uh, you know, request that your library get books that you want to read, um, see the new things as they come in, you know, put holds on book. It's, it's great. Uh, and so I find it a, a really attractive way to, to give yourself an opportunity to, to use your library well without having to drive over to the library and, uh, and to, to get some more books read. Uh, and it's summertime is the time for reading. So overdrive in your public library is a, is a great combination. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. And like Dennis said before, we love, love, love getting audio questions from our audience. So please contact the Legal Talk Network. There's a link there. There's actually going to be a, a voicemail, a voice dial-in, so you can leave a message there. So please check that out and leave us a, a, a question if you get a chance. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an Internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.